children in church. And it's exciting to see how many are involved in the things that we do here. And it encourages us to see children in worship and learning. And indeed, our favorite image of Jesus is that of Jesus with children. You probably noticed our stained glass window that has Jesus and the children. There's something, something very reassuring about a Savior who pays attention to children and takes time for them. And Jesus drew our attention to children in their childlike ways on, on more than one occasion. I was looking through the scriptures and found, uh, found several this week. He, he pointed out that adults are sometimes as fickle as children playing in the marketplace. When the disciples were arguing about greatness, he set a child before them as an example of greatness in the kingdom. But religious leaders insisted that Jesus silence children who were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. He responded by quoting the psalm that said, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast prepared praise for thyself. He told us that to receive a child in his name was to receive him. And that it would be better for someone to have a millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the sea than for them to cause a little one to stumble. But our favorite picture of Jesus with children is surely the one we come to today as we see parents bringing babies to Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 18, verse 15. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. Now, I'm not really sure why parents bring their babies to important people. But I know they do. In fact, I helped Nikki decorate a shirt with the words, Kiss me, Mr. President. Uh, the night before she and Grandma missed church to take six-month-old Grace to see the president. And yes, as you know, he did kiss her. And the picture made the front page of the New York Times. Now, I doubt that a picture of Jesus touching the children made the cover of the Jerusalem Times. But it was a big deal for parents to bring their children to him, And it wasn't just the mothers or grandmothers who were doing it. The pronoun used is masculine in gender. So dads were bringing their babies too. And it was babies that they were bringing to Jesus. Matthew and Mark simply refer to them as children, but Luke specifies that they were babies. On the other hand, Luke only notes that they wanted Jesus to touch their babies. Matthew tells us they were bringing their children to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And Mark tells us Jesus took them into his arms and blessed them. Apparently it was the blessing that the parents 
were seeking. And it was customary to bring Jewish babies to a distinguished rabbi for a blessing, seeking God's favor upon their children. We do a similar thing when we ring the chimes and pray for babies on their first Sunday here with their parents. It's a beautiful celebration that we enjoy, and it's a way for parents to publicly commit themselves to raising their children in the faith. Other churches have even more official acts of dedication for babies, and some go so far as to baptize them. Now, as you're well aware, we draw the line at baptism and refuse to baptize infants because there's no way for an infant to be biblically baptized. Baptism, total immersion in water, always follows belief and repentance in baptism. It's not an isolated event. And it's a personal decision to accept Christ as one's Lord and Savior. Obviously, an infant is unable to make such a decision And there's no precedent in Scripture for a parent to make such a decision on behalf of a child. Now, some do insist that when we read of entire households being baptized in the book of Acts, that the households must have included infants. I think a closer look at the account makes it pretty clear that they didn't. In Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. And after they began exalting God, they were baptized. When Lydia, a Jewish businesswoman who met for prayer with other women, opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul, she and her household were baptized. Now, there's no evidence she was even married, let alone that she had children. Most likely, her household consisted of her servants. After Paul and Silas were miraculously freed from their chains in prison, the Philippian jailer asked them what he must do to be saved. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. When Crispus, the leader of a synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, they who heard were believing and being baptized. Apparently, the household baptisms in Acts did not include children too young to hear and believe. And there's no evidence that children were ever baptized in the Scriptures. But children, even infants, could be brought to Jesus. And they were blessed by him, even if the disciples did try to stop it. Now, let's not be too hard on the disciples. I really don't think they shared W.C. Fields' contempt for children. 
They were simply trying to protect Jesus from what they thought to be an unnecessary distraction. They knew the pressure he was under. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He had already reminded them that Jerusalem was a city that killed prophets and stoned those sent to her. The end of his ministry was just around the corner. Surely he needed to stay focused on what lay ahead of him and on preparing his followers for the future. They didn't think he had time for the children, but he made time because children belong in the kingdom. Verse 16. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The disciples were trying to keep pushy parents and their noisy offspring away from Jesus. But he called for them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. Jesus wanted children to come to him, and he made himself readily accessible to them. And that's something we must be ever mindful of today. You know, what are we doing to make Jesus accessible to children? What are we doing to make them feel welcome in his presence? Thankfully, we do a lot of things here at the church to make children feel welcome. We have a great nursery staffed by volunteers who put the spiritual needs of children above their own on a fairly regular basis. And don't think they're just babysitting. The babies are hearing songs about Jesus, and the toddlers are actually being introduced to him. We have a great We Worship and Junior Worship program, as well as Sunday school classes and youth groups for all ages. We want children coming to Jesus in our church, and in our homes as well. And I trust you've seen kids toting bags out of class, those little bags with the straps on them. The bags contain Bibles, memory work, lessons and activities for children and their parents. And it is imperative that parents do more than simply bring their children to church and Sunday school. They must get directly involved in bringing their children to Jesus. We're here to help and to make resources available for parents to use, but it's their responsibility to make Christ's presence felt in the home and to keep him accessible for their children at all times. Now, I'm more than happy to come to your home and talk with your children about Jesus and to talk with them about baptism when you think they're ready for it. But you need to be talking with your children about Jesus and even baptism long before I'm invited to join in the conversation. After you've done your part, then, if you want, call me or Blake or Steve if there are questions that you can't answer, or you simply want the assurance that a child is ready for baptism. Now, to help you do your part, copies of Jesus, Your Very Best Friend, a parent-guided study for teaching the plan of salvation to children, copies are over there on the table. 
I would encourage parents of little ones to take a copy with them and to use that in answering questions and helping their children understand what's involved. Because Jesus wants children, even babies, coming to him. Because children belong in the kingdom of God. Now, as we'll soon see, Jesus was primarily referring to adults with childlike characteristics when he said the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. But his reception of children does make it clear that children are indeed welcome in the kingdom of God. That does not mean, however, that all children are automatically given a place in the kingdom of God just because they're children. When God ordered the Israelites to destroy the pagan nations living in the promised land, he ordered the extermination of men, women, and children. And as comforting as it might be to think so, I can find no evidence in the scriptures that all infants and children who die are guaranteed a place in heaven. In fact, the Apostle Paul even makes a distinction between unclean and holy children in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, he does not explain the ramifications of that distinction, but the difference seems to be based on the faith of the parents, or at least one of them. So the eternal destiny of children appears to rest in the hands of of believing parents. And that means we must take our spiritual responsibilities very seriously because more than our personal future is at stake. Our children's eternal destination is in our hands, at least while they are children. When they are infants and children, it's up to us to get them into the arms of Jesus. And it's our prayer that by the time they reach the age of accountability, when God will hold them personally responsible for their sin, that they will have embraced the Savior to whom we entrusted them as infants. Now, Jesus not only said, permit the children to come to me, he also noted, do not Hinder them. As a church and as parents, we need to make certain that we are not doing anything that might hinder the coming of children to Jesus. We have to make certain that our church is a place where parents and children feel welcome and where their needs, both spiritual and physical, are met. And parents need to be ever mindful that it's their relationship with Jesus that makes possible their children's relationship with him. If they minimize that relationship or live lives that are inconsistent with it, they will not only be affecting their own relationship with Jesus, they may very well be hindering their children's relationship with him. Children belong 
in the kingdom of God. And only the childlike may enter. Verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. Now, Jesus didn't define what it means to enter the kingdom of God like a child. And the preposition used can be translated like or as. But few take seriously the suggestion that it means if you don't enter the kingdom as a child, when you are a child, that you can't get in. Now, it is true that it's often easier for a child to enter the kingdom than it is for an adult. And that's why it's so important that parents must make certain that their children are given every opportunity to get to know Jesus while they're young. I think it's obvious that Jesus is making a comparison here. He's saying that we must enter the kingdom the way a child does or in a childlike manner. But even that leaves open several options for understanding. You know, it might have to do with a child's lack of accountability. If a child does something wrong in society, their parents are held accountable. It's possible that Jesus is saying we have to find someone who will agree to be held accountable for our sins. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us as our Savior. In a similar vein, it could have reference to our need to be born again. You know, Nicodemus was told he would have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And when we are born again, we do enter the kingdom as babes in Christ. I think both are true. I think Jesus was most likely speaking of the attitude and the faith of a child. When the disciples were arguing over who might be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus set a child in their midst. He then told them that unless they would be converted and become like children, they couldn't enter the kingdom of heaven. He went on to say, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that certainly fits the context of what we find in Luke's gospel. Immediately before telling of the parents bringing their children to Jesus, Luke records the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And he ends it by quoting Jesus as saying of the publican, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. But he who humbles himself shall be exalted. The publican came before God humbly, without trying to justify himself or claiming to deserve the grace of God. And a child doesn't feel he has to earn love or deserve needed provisions when coming before those who can provide them. Unless his childlike spirit has been twisted by something or someone, he simply comes with his needs and trusts that his needs will be met. That's the way we must come to God. With childlike trust and faith in our Heavenly Father. 
We must come before God with a kind of faith that enables the child to jump into the arms of his father with total abandon. If we would enter the kingdom, we must come humbly with absolute trust and confidence that Christ will receive us. Not because we think we've done anything to deserve it, but simply because he has called for us and has invited us to come. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. If you've not responded before, now is the time to run into his arms. Let's go.